Uh, If you got your Bible, open Galatians chapter 3. We are in a series here over the past few weeks called Set Free. We are studying the book of Galatians verse by verse. This book is a letter from the Apostle Paul, one of the founding uh, members of of many churches, a man who was a missionary who traveled and planted many churches, uh, a letter to some of those churches that he started. In fact, churches in a region of what is now south-central Turkey called the region of Galatia. We know he planted at least four churches in this area. We believe he probably started others. and this book was what would be called a circular letter. It would be written and go to one, one church. They would read it aloud, gather and read it aloud. Uh, they would make a copy of it and send it on to the next church. Who would send it on to the next church, etc. cetera. Uh, this letter was written with basically one specific goal. There's a couple sub-goals, but one big goal. And that goal was this, to remind the Galatians of what they've been set free from. You see, what had happened was Paul had traveled to these churches. We don't know exactly the timeline, but Bible scholars believe somewhere between one and three years before this letter is written. Traveled to these areas, shared the gospel. People got excited about Jesus. This is the, the, the first people in these areas who ever knew Christ. And they come to Jesus. They start building churches. And then not long afterwards, the enemy comes in and starts spreading lies. Starts using false teachers to to take away their joy, to take away the freedom that God had given them. So Paul writes this letter to tell them legalism is not the answer, works is not the answer, religion is not the answer, you have been set free. In fact, he's going to make this statement a little later on in the letter, but he says it is for freedom that you've been set free. Don't go back to bondage. Don't go back to works. Don't go back to legalism. Don't go back to trying to earn your way to God. You have been set free. So what we're going to do today uh, is we're going to read 14 verses. We're going to read Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. I want to read it to you in a block at first all together so you can see this whole section of Scripture in context. And then we're going to go back and work through it verse by verse and and teach over... uh, Uh, these verses. So Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. He says, you foolish Galatians. That's a strong start, isn't it? Get their attention. There's actually another translation, the J.B. Phillips translation, uh, says, you dear little idiots. Uh, So I love that, Paul. Uh, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. 
Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that this thing that was written 2,000 years ago by a man was written, God, inspired by your Holy Spirit, that you were all over every aspect of it. God, that you even say that it is God-breathed, and it's useful for us today. God, it is vital for us. It is nourishment for us. It is wisdom for us. God, we thank you that it applies to us today. And so we ask as we open your word, God, that you would breathe. Breathe on us today, Father God. Holy Spirit, breathe into us your knowledge. God, breathe your freedom on your people. God, set us free just as you set the Gentiles, the Galatians free through this letter 2,000 years ago. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. To give you just a little bit more context, if you haven't been with us, what's, what's happening here is Paul had come in and preached the gospel. The gospel being this scandalous message that God sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life for 33 years here on earth, died a sinner's death, died on, on false charges, uh, and because of that, he died the sacrifice for my sin and for yours, that the only perfect one died for all of us who are imperfect. I think the song we sang called The Passion, that second song today, I think it puts it this way. It says, uh, the innocent found guilty, the guilty one came free, right? I'm the guilty one in that song. You're the guilty one in that song. Jesus Christ is the innocent one. This is the gospel. It is good news, but it is crazy news, Right? Like, this is something that, that doesn't really make sense when you think about it. Why would God leave heaven and come to earth to die for us? Well, Paul says the gospel is so impactful, it changed your lives, and yet what's happened is these, these Jewish believers have come in, and, and they started saying, yeah, the gospel is true, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but don't forget about all this stuff the Old Testament teaches us. Don't forget about all this stuff we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do things like get circumcised. We're supposed to do things like all of these rituals, and these things make us right with God. And so Paul writes to say, look, nothing makes you right with God except the blood of Jesus. It is not your actions. It is not your works. It is not your spiritual to-do list. It is not doing stuff so that other people see you as spiritual. It is not doing something so God will look at you and say, I approve of you because you took these steps. The only thing that makes you right with God is the blood of Jesus and your faith in that blood is the sacrifice for your sins. So I want to go back one verse into Galatians 2 for what we read last week just to give us a, a little bit of a reference point for where Paul is in this conversation. Because if you start with you foolish Galatians, surely there's something that brought him to that point. So Galatians chapter 2 verse 21, as we get ready to work our way back through this chapter, it says this. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
Everything we're about to read in Galatians 3 has to be viewed through this lens. This is Paul's thesis statement for what he's about to get into. That if you could earn your way there, if you could be good enough, if you could check off enough boxes on your religious to-do list that you could get your way into heaven, then why in the world did Jesus have to die? What an unjust father he would be. To send his son to die for my sins or for your sins if there was another way. If there was a plan B, if there was a way for us to get right out and of ourselves, then what in the world was God doing? What a tragedy that would be. Paul says, no, Jesus Christ did not die for nothing. He died for the greatest reason of all there ever was, the most important thing that ever happened. He died for the salvation of humanity, but he died because there's no way you could ever be good enough to get there on your own. So what are you you trying to prove? Why do you think you can make yourself right with God? So with that context... With that lens, let's begin to move back through Galatians chapter 3. He says, you foolish Galatians. Look at the person next to you say, you foolish Galatian. I was going to go with you dear little idiot, but I figured that was maybe a little harsh. So we settled for you foolish Galatian. You foolish Galatians, he said, who has bewitched you? He says, it's almost like you've been enchanted. Right? Like you, you, your, your beliefs were right a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. This isn't that long ago. How did you go from having this right, from understanding the gospel, to now descending, returning back to religion? See, it's easy for us to sit here and look at the Galatians and say, you dear little idiots. Right? What is wrong with you? But the reality is, while for us it's not circumcision, it's not Jewish traditions or Jewish customs, the reality is it's very easy for us as Christians to return to legalism, to return to works, to return to something that is less than the gospel, that says, okay, yes, Jesus, I need Jesus, but I need Jesus and these things. And you see, anything we add to Jesus is actually taken away from Jesus. Because when we add to Jesus, that means that Jesus wasn't enough. And the reality is, Jesus is always enough. In fact, Jesus is more than enough. He is the God of abundance. And so adding to Jesus actually subtracts from Jesus. It reduces Jesus. It says Jesus isn't enough. So that's why Paul is fired up. That's why he calls them, you foolish Galatians, right? He gets a little, little, little excited here. He's saying, open your eyes. Who has bewitched you? He says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He said, you know better. You know the gospel. You know what Jesus did. Why are you thinking you can make yourself right yourself? He says, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit of God, one member of the Trinity? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Let's talk about verses 2 and 3 here for a minute. When he's talking about receiving the Spirit, he's talking about salvation. 
You see, the reality is when we come to Jesus, when we look upon him as our Lord, when we place our faith in him, the Bible says that God sends his Holy Spirit to live in us, to empower us to live for him. You see, apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no way we can ever live up to God's standards. We can't do it. That's the whole point of the Old Testament. The whole Testament is there to tell us, you are foolish little Galatians, right? Like, you can't get there on your own. You are incapable of this. But now the Holy Spirit living in you, if you allow the Holy Spirit to live through you, he's the engine that will drive you in the direction that you could not go on your own apart from him. So he says, did you receive the Spirit? In other words, the Galatians know they received the Holy Spirit. They can mark the moment. Here's what happened when the Holy Spirit came into my life. Here's, Here's what happened when God came to live in me. They know they received the Holy Spirit. So he's referring to this, and he's saying, how'd you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by by getting your actions right? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by by getting your works together? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by checking off every box on your spiritual to-do list? No. You received the Holy Spirit by faith, by trusting in God, by believing in him. That's the only way you can receive the Holy Spirit. So then in verse 3, if you'll put that back up for us, he says this. He says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You ever heard somebody say, well, he started it, but I'm going to finish it. Right? Uh, That attitude is not a biblical one. See, the Galatians thought, well, yeah, God started it, but I have to finish it. They thought that, yes, God started something in me. Yes, God saved me, but I got to do all this other stuff to continue to hold on to it, to continue to have it, that, that he started it, but I have to finish it. But this same author, the Apostle Paul, this same man, much later in life, and if you read it in the Bible, it won't seem much later in life because it's actually the very next book, the book of Philippians. But Philippians was written significantly later, probably 20 years or so later, than Galatians. And much later in life, this same author, not in a correcting tone like he is in Galatians, but in an encouraging tone, in Philippians chapter 1, he's going to say this. He says, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he being God, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, God started it. God continues it, and God finishes it. It's not he started it, and I have to finish it. It's not he started it, and now i got to get all this other stuff right to keep it. He said he started it, he continues it, and he finishes it. Why? Because he's just that good. Right? Being confident in this. Not hoping for this. Not maybe it'll come around this way. But you can be confident, church. If you remember the moment when you came to Jesus. If you remember the moment the Holy Spirit showed up in your life. If you can see evidence that yes, he's there. You can be confident that he's going to carry that work to completion. It's not on you. It's his responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have a part to play. Because God will only take you as far as you'll let him go. So it's not that you have to do it. You can't do it. It's just that you have to get your butt out the way. Right? It's that you have to surrender. It's that you have to allow the Holy Spirit to do things in your life. And when he does, Galatians chapter 5, stealing from a couple Sundays away from now, he's going to start bearing fruit in our life, evidence in our life that he's at work. The people will be able to see, hey, you're growing. Man, you're not the same guy you were three years ago. 
man, there's something different. I'm, I'm seeing, you didn't used to have that gentleness. You didn't used to have that kindness. You didn't always have that goodness in your life. I think there's some maturity here. The sad part about the, the church in America is so many of us plateau, and we can't see any more fruit in our life than we did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But the gospel is, if we'll just let him, he's going to carry the work forward. But we have to let him. We have to agree with him. We have to yield to him to allow that to happen. Verse 4, Galatians chapter 3. Paul says, have you experienced so much in vain? Has all this been for naught? Has this been a waste? He said, if really it was in vain. So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? How does this all happen? Does it happen because you got it right and you did everything right? Or does it happen simply because you had faith? You see, that word belief in the New Testament and the word faith are the same word. Uh, for us, one of, it, one of them shows up as a verb. Believing is a verb, and faith is a noun. Uh, but in the New Testament, it's the same root word. It's the same concept. And so when he says, Have you be- is it because you believed what you heard? He's saying, is it because you had faith? You see, faith is the thing that gets us from where we are to where God is. Right? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's a prerequisite. We have to have it. The Asbury Bible Commentary says this, talking about verses 4 and 5. says, How can that which was begun by the Spirit be nurtured by the flesh? If your salvation began by the Holy Spirit, how do you think that you can nurture it by your own works, by your own goodness, by your own actions? He says, Paul, once and for all, rejects the notion that the law and efforts under the law can release God's power or spirit, nor can they promote God's gracious dealing with humankind, as these false teachers had been suggesting. To be captivated by the Jewish ritual of circumcision, listen to this, was to reject the legitimacy of a spiritual experience by faith. Now, none of us in this room are captivated by circumcision, right? That, that part doesn't apply in our context. But what does apply in our context? Legalism definitely does. We, we, we have people, we have churches, we have Christians, we have Americans. We probably have people in, in our church who, who are drawn to legalism. Man, we're drawn to works. We're drawn to, to demonstrating that we have it together for other people to see. We're drawn to that pharisaical mentality. And it says here in this commentary, he says that, that to be captivated by that legalism is to reject the legitimacy of a spiritual experience by faith. In other words, you can't have both. You can't have a spiritual experience by faith and have legalism. you got to choose one or the other. If you're drawn to legalism, what you're saying is that God did not already do something in you. You can't have this and that. This is the general principle about God, by the way, is God is not a, what we call a syncretistic God. Syncretism is when you grab one thing from Jesus and one thing from Buddha and something from Muhammad and this from my culture and my generation. We put it all together and this fits for me. We don't have a God who embraces syncretism. We have a God who says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through me. We don't get to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we like and the parts that that, that we don't. Uh, That's not an offer that God gives us. God says, I'll take anybody. He is the most inclusive God, the most inclusive faith that there ever was in the history of the world. I will take anybody. I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care if you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, mixed. I I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your sinful background looks like. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much you live. I don't care how much you make. I will take anybody, but I will not take part of you. 
I will only take you all. That's the offer he gives us. I will take you, but I won't take just your job. I won't just take your marriage. I won't just take your parenting. I won't just take your Sunday morning. I will take you, but I'm taking everything. That's the God that we serve. He'll take any of us, but he will only take us fully. He doesn't allow us to have Jesus plus this, Jesus and that. Because again, anything we add to Jesus is reducing Jesus. And so they embraced circumcision as something that they had to have, and in so doing, they're reducing Christ. We don't embrace circumcision as something that we have to have, but we do embrace legalism in different ways. So it applies to us as well. Verse 6, Paul's going to shift gears. He says, so also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul's going to spend the next few verses talking about this dude, Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. In fact, he quotes Genesis chapter 15, I believe it's verse 6, where God says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was the founder of circumcision. He makes this covenant with God, this agreement with God, and God says, look, we're going to mark your descendants. You guys are going to remember, man, the, the, the pain of this covenant. And so there's going to be a circumcision. There's going to be a cutting of the flesh. And we know as a physical reality. We also talked last week. It's a spiritual metaphor that, that, that when we come to Christ, man, there's some stuff in our heart that has to be cut away. Right? There's this sinful nature that has to be cut off. And so it's a physical picture of a spirit, spiritual reality. And so Paul goes right to the top. He goes right to the source and says, look, you think you're, you're somehow these better Jews than I am. Paul was the best Jew of them all before he was Paul. When he was Saul, he, he was the greatest Pharisee that there was. He was the most zealous, most passionate. He says, you think somehow you know more about what it means to be a Jew than I do. Let, let, let's talk about the Jew that we all come from. Let's talk about Abraham. Abraham did all the right stuff, right? Abraham got circumcised. Abraham went through all these rituals and customs. But you know why he was right with God? It doesn't say Abraham got circumcised and it was credited to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham lived his life correctly and it was credited to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham walked in righteousness and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did Abraham do? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That was where his righteousness came from, simply from his faith in God. Now let me say this. It doesn't say that Abraham believed in God. There's a difference. You can believe in God without believing God. Abraham did not believe in God. He didn't just simply believe there was a God. Abraham believed God. He believed what God had to say about himself. He believed what God had to say about Abraham. He believed what God had to say about life. Abraham believed God. And that was credited to him as righteousness. You don't get credited to righteousness simply because you believe that there's a God out there somewhere. Righteousness is credited when you believe God. You believe his word. You believe what he has to say. You believe in his character, in his nature. You believe in what he is up to. When you believe God, that's credited as righteousness, not believing in God. You see the difference. If you, if you want to unpack that anymore, i got a great book recommendation for you. A great lady named Beth Moore wrote a book called Believe in God. 
uh, really on that, that exact premise. And it's one of my favorite books I've ever read on the idea of faith. It's going to give you some very practical ways to walk in faith, to trust God for greater things in your life. It's one of the books, probably my top five list, uh, favorite books I've ever read, Believe in God by Beth Moore. It'll help you to unpack that idea. Moving forward, verse 7 says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So Abraham's the father of the Jewish nation. These Jews are coming into the church and saying, look, these Gentiles, they, they, they can't have Jesus unless they have Jesus and all this stuff that we have to do as Jews. Paul says, but those who have faith are children of Abraham, not those who practice Jewish rituals. Not those who go through all of these steps to be Jews. Those who have faith are children of Abraham because Abraham ultimately was a man of faith. Not Abraham was a Jew. That's the essence of who he is. Um, John, John Wesley, the great Methodist, well, he wasn't even Methodist because Methodist didn't exist, but the Methodist church came from him. The great pastor in England uh, who, who led this incredible revival, he says this, talking about this in his message, Justification by Faith. He says, faith is the necessary condition of justification. Justification is the process of being made right with God, being justified. He says, faith is the necessary condition of justification, yeah, and the only condition thereof, only necessary condition thereof. So he says, the only thing you have to have is faith. You don't have to have faith and baptism. You don't have to have faith and church membership. You don't have to have faith and tithing. You don't have to have faith and serving, right? You don't have to have faith and all you have to have is faith in order to be justified. He says, on the other hand, though, a man should have everything else without faith. He cannot be justified. So if you have it all over here, you've, got, you've been baptized, you're serving in the church, you give above and beyond your tithe, you do all this, you give to these other organizations, man, you're adopting, you're doing all these great things. None of those things are bad things at all. Those are things we should be doing. You're worshiping, you're memorizing scripture. It says you can have everything else pile as high of a stack over here as you can possibly come up with, but if you don't have faith, it's nothing. Faith is the necessary component of justification, and it's the only necessary component or condition of justification. Verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed through you. In other words, he's saying this isn't a surprise to God. This isn't a curveball. You're, you're twisting and saying that, hey, this Christianity has come along and is reducing the Jewish faith, that, that somehow we're omitting some things. But this was the plan from the beginning. This was the plan all along. Over and over again, God told Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. When that says all nations, do you know what that promise is for? You and me. All nations, right? Here we are 3,000 years after that promise. 3,000 years and you are the fruit of that promise if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're the answer to what God promised Abraham that all nations would be blessed through you. I don't know all the nations represented here, that with all the ethnicities that we've come through, but man, there's quite a few. All nations have been blessed through Abraham. You know, God made that promise to Abraham three different times. It's first in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, then again in Genesis 18, 18, then again in Genesis 22, 18. Why did God have to keep making that promise? Because it probably sounded crazy, right? Abraham probably had some doubts, had some moments where, where he started to wonder, man, did, did I make that up? 
I mean, I can't, I can't even have a kid. How can all nations be blessed through me, right? Like, I'm, I'm old. I am beyond childbearing age. There's, there's no way this is going to happen. God must have meant it as some sort of spiritual metaphor. Nope. God meant it in the present, in the physical. He meant it in the real. That this was a reality that all nations would be blessed through him. So, so God tells him it in Genesis 12, chapter 12. Then he has to tell him again in Genesis 18, 18. He's like, yo, Abraham, don't forget all nations will be blessed through you. And, and then Abraham believes it for a little bit, and then, man, maybe some circumstances happen, maybe some things go on, and, and his faith starts to dip again. You ever had your faith dip? We all do, right? Like, this isn't a condemnation. We all have moments where our faith isn't so strong. What do you do when your faith isn't so strong? You come back to the word. His faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Abraham didn't have the word of God. It hadn't been written yet. It didn't exist. So God had to keep popping up and telling him because that was the only word that he had, was literally the word from God's mouth. So God pops up again in Genesis 22, and he's like, Abraham, I wasn't joking. You heard me right the first time. All nations on earth will be blessed through you, right? I don't know how that's how it happened, but that's how I imagine it. Just go with me for a minute. He has to remind him again and again. Sometimes we need to be reminded of God's promises, don't we? Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of God's promises and build some faith and stand on those and remember this is what God said and if God said this is what's going to happen, I don't care how crazy it seems. I don't care how, how unnatural it may feel. This is what God said, so this is the way that it is. Verse 9, he says, So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What's Paul doing? He's flipping the legalist argument upside down. Their argument is that Paul, they've attacked Paul's character. Paul's not, not really a Jew, the biggest Jew of them all. Paul's not a good enough Jew because Paul's denying the Jewish faith. He's denying the Jewish aspects of the faith, the things that they were required to do. And Paul says, no, I'm not the one omitting something. You're the ones omitting it. Because if you want to talk about Abraham, you want to talk about the Jewish people, let's go back and let's look at the promises. The promises is that all nations will be blessed through Abraham, not just the Jews. God had this in mind from the beginning. The statement is that Abraham is justified not because of his good works, not because he was such a great Jew, but Abraham was justified because he believed God. And so it says all. Everybody say all. All. Actually, it doesn't say all there, but it means it. My fault. That's what happens when I told you wild card Sunday, right? I'll just say something. I apologize. Verse 9 says, so those, implication being all those, who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So if you have faith, what do you have? You have the blessings of Abraham. You may not know what the blessings of Abraham mean, and that may not seem significant to you, but it's very significant. You know what God promised Abraham? He said, I will bless you. He said, I will bless all nations through you. He said, I will bless those who bless you. That's a, that's a blessing, right? Not just will I bless you, but if somebody else blesses you, I'm going to bless them. That's quite a blessing. You know what else he says? He says, I'll curse those who curse you. In other words, I got your back. When something comes against you, they're not just coming against you. They're coming against me. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. This is the promise of Abraham, which now, by faith, is the promise for you and the promise for me. You see, what the Bible teaches is that we, we as, as believers, by faith, we've been grafted in. 
We weren't part of the original plant, the original Jewish plant, but, but God has now cut apart a branch and added us in. So now we are connected to all that stuff. So when you read the Old Testament, you're like, this is a bunch of stuff about Israel. Why does this, how does this apply to me? It all applies to you because you're an Israelite. When God looks at you, he sees you, first of all, by the blood. He sees you covered in the blood of Jesus. Secondly, he sees you sealed with the mark of the redemption of the Holy Spirit. But thirdly, he sees you as an Israelite. And the promises for Israel are on your life and mine. That's what God sees. Verse 10. For all who rely, there's the all, I knew it was in there. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. There's some strong words in there. Cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law. Let me ask you this. When it says the book of the law, the specific context is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Torah. The, the Jews consider that the law. These are the books of the law. How many of us in here have, have followed everything in the book of the law? Show of hands. Just me? Man, you guys got to work on some stuff. Okay, not me either, right? We've all missed it in probably many, 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 however many more minis you want to throw in their ways, right? It says that we're all cursed. You guys have a wonderful Sunday. I'll see you next week. That's not good news, Pastor Troy. That's not good news, Paul. And I come to church to find out that I'm cursed. What do we do with that? Well, thankfully, Paul doesn't stop there, and we're not stopping there either. We know that we're under a curse because we've not followed everything written in the book of the law. Verse 11, he says, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. He quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, that the righteous, in other words, our, our righteousness is not defined by our good works. It's defined by our faith. That's what makes us righteous. Verse 12, he says, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the law says, the person who does these things will live by them. He quotes Deuteronomy 21, 23. And then he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Other translation says who is hung on a tree. The, the idea is somebody who's hung on a piece of wood. That person is cursed. There, there's a curse on them. So what happened? You and I are under a curse because we haven't followed everything in the book of the law. All of us. You know what that curse is? It's called the curse of the law. Jesus Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law. And how did he do it? He redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse, by taking on a curse, by being hung on a tree. Another way you could say it is by becoming accursed. He said, you know what, I see the curse that's on you, and I'm going to take it on me. I haven't earned that curse because I have followed everything written in the book of the law. I haven't missed one piece of it, but I'm going to take your curse, and I'm going to place it on me as I'm placed on this tree. That's the gospel. That's what's going on here. So Paul's going back to the very roots. Back to He's attacking these Jews on their home turf, the law. The first five books of the Bible, he's quoting Deuteronomy over and over again. He's quoting Genesis. He's referencing this stuff and showing them, I'm not the one who's missed it here. You've missed it. This is who God was from the beginning. You ever heard somebody say something like, man, the God of the Old Testament just seems so, so angry and so hateful, and the God of the New Testament seems so loving. How can it be the same God? God's plan was there from the start. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. So Paul finishes this section, verse 14. We'll close with this today. He says, he, he being God, redeemed us 
Why? In order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith, everybody say by faith. That by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. God redeemed us. Why did he redeem us? You know what it means to be redeemed? You, you, you ever use coupons when you go grocery shopping? My wife's a couponer. Uh, she, she gets Kroger coupons. Kroger sends us coupons. Kroger tracks what we buy and sends us coupons related to what we buy so that we'll come by, back and buy it again. All right? So, so she uses coupons. You know what happens when we take one of those coupons back to Kroger? We've redeemed it. What does it mean? It means we brought it back to the place where it belonged from the beginning. God has redeemed us. What does that mean? It means when he created Adam and Eve, he looked down and he said, it is not just good, it is very good. God's plans for humanity were to be blessed from the beginning. God's plans for humanity were to be right with him from the beginning. God's plans for humanity was to be in intimacy and relationship with him from the beginning. And then sin came in and it seemed like it tore it all up. Like it destroyed it all, but God had a plan, and he says, I'm going to redeem. I'm taking this coupon back to Kroger. I'm taking these people back to where they were supposed to be from the start. You see, sometimes very well-meaning Christians start presenting the gospel, and we'll do things like the Romans road, and I've been taught this. I don't know if you have, but we'll start with all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the beginning of the story, but see, that's not the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story is that God created us in his image for a relationship with him. Then sin came in and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus didn't come to change the story. Jesus came to reset the story, to redeem it to where it was supposed to be from the beginning. That's redemption. You have been redeemed. Amen. Says he redeemed us. Why? In order that the blessing given to Abraham... I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. That that blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, which is most of us in this room, through Christ Jesus. Why? So that by faith we might receive not just salvation in the next life, not just eternity with God, which is amazing. We might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit right now. So that we can receive the Holy Spirit to live in us and empower us to begin to live for God. To begin to get that stuff right we could never get on our own. You see, it's not that works don't matter. It's, it's not that, that, that doing the right things isn't important. It's not that dealing with sin doesn't matter. That's not the message of Galatians. The message of Galatians is that your motivation matters. If you're trying to get your, your stuff right so other people can see what a good Christian you are, you're off. If you're trying to get your stuff right so that God can love you and that God will save you because you did all this stuff right, then you're diminishing the gospel of what Jesus Christ did for you. And you're wrong. If you're trying to get your stuff right because God sent his spirit to live in you and you're overwhelmed by the great salvation of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and you say, look, this God loves me with an unconditional love and I'm now free to live for him. I'm free to surrender to him. I'm free to pursue him. If that's your reason why you're trying to do the right thing, there's going to be a blessing on you for that. It's not that our actions don't matter. That's not the message of Galatians. The message of Galatians is it's all about the heart. 
What is the heart behind the action? If you're doing it so other people can be impressed with you, you missed it. There's no blessing on that. If you're doing it so God will be impressed with you, you missed it. There's no blessing on that. If you're doing it because you're responding to the incredible love of your Savior, there's a massive blessing on that. And he says, I'll send my Holy Spirit to live in you and empower you to begin to do that stuff you want to do that you can't do without me. But now with the Spirit living in you, you can. That's the message of Galatians. That's the message of being set free. So I've got one point for you to write down before we leave today. And that point is simply this. Legalism destroys, but the Spirit gives life. You've probably heard something along those lines before. You're probably familiar with that concept. But that's the message of Galatians 3, 1 through 14. Is legalism destroys, man, it, it, it does one of two things. If you fall into legalism and you're trying to earn your way or you're trying to live so other people can see you, one of two things will happen. You'll either fall into pride where you think, man, I, you start measuring yourself against somebody else. Like, man, I stayed on that bucket longer than Pastor Donovan did. I mean, come on. Right? Like, like you start comparing. You start feeling good about yourself. And what does the Bible say about pride? It says God resists the proud. Pride's a bad place to be. Legalism destroys. Why does the enemy try to take us to legalism? Because the enemy believes in stealing and killing and destroying. And he knows legalism will destroy us. That's why he came to the Galatians quickly. He didn't wait 80 years. He didn't wait 120 years after the gospel came. He said, I'm coming right now to try to steal this thing before it becomes something. Because legalism destroys. Legalism will either take you to pride or legalism will take you to depression. Because you start realizing, I just keep on failing. I just can't measure up. You'll start looking, and, and instead of feeling like you're better than everybody else, you're going to feel you're worse than everybody else. How, co how come that guy seems to get this together? And you don't know what he's struggling with behind closed doors. You don't know what's going on in his marriage. But, but you look at him, and you compare, and like, man, he's just so much better Christian than I am. And legalism falls causes us to, to start comparing and we either get prideful or we get discouraged and neither of those are God's plan for us God's plan for us is freedom see the Holy Spirit gives life and we allow the Spirit to empower us not doing it in my works not doing it in my goodness not doing it in my righteousness but doing it through the righteousness of the one who lives in me then it's life-giving then it brings things like joy and peace then it brings things like victory then it brings things that God wants us to have. So it's not about the action. It's about the heart. We get our heart right. That's going to empower the right action. Would you pray with me, church? Father God, I thank you so much for this incredible section of scripture. God, we speak freedom over your people. God, you came. You sent Jesus to die for us so we could be free. So we could receive your Holy Spirit. So we could be empowered for a relationship with you. So God, we lean into that today. God, we ask you, if there's any of us today that, that have received Jesus, but we've started adding legalism back on. We've started adding works back into the mix. God, we ask today that we'd be set free once again. Just as the Galatians were when they received this letter 2,000 years ago. They were set free again from legalism. God, we speak freedom from legalism over your people. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus died in our place. It doesn't make sense to us, but we know it happened, God, because we believe you. We believe you. We believe what you say. We believe your, your word. So we trust you, God, in this, and we thank you for it.